Welcome back to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. Today's episode, my guest, Aaron Cullop, shares thoughts on generating pipeline and building a business. He also highlights the essentials that make people in sales successful, such as building great relationships. He talked about avoiding repelling behavior, pretty important in sales, and really striving towards consistency day in and day out. I really like some of his strategies to help sales professionals grow personally and professionally. Finally, he shares some valuable tips on negotiations, which by the way, he's also uh, he also teaches this at Clemson University's graduate program. So he's got some experience around the topic. In fact, I'd like to bring him back on for an, another episode just on this topic. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. All right, Aaron, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Sales Podcast. How are you doing? Good to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So we've, yeah, we've never met before, but I actually heard you on another sales podcast and you were talking about some leadership and some leadership styles and how some trends might be changing. And it just caught my attention. And so I reached out and invited you on. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come on today. Yeah, it's really good to be here. This is something I really enjoy doing, which is just you know sharing information because I'm always learning something as well. So thanks for having me. Yeah, if you're not learning, you're shrinking. That's right. So, so tell us, why don't you tell the audience just a, real quick a little bit about yourself. What is it that you do? What kind of sales uh, are you involved in? Yeah, great question. So I work for a company called Walters Kluwer. And we provide tax and accounting software uh, really worldwide. And um, I'm responsible for uh, all of the U.S. and Canada, specifically in the tax research uh, department. So we provide a web-based tax research subscription service where firms and corporations can go and get information, state and federal laws and codes out there, and as well as in Canada with their rules and regulations around their tax filing. And so I'm in that piece of it. Uh, We also have a tax software side. Uh, which deals with on-premise and SaaS cloud-based solutions. And uh, so I spent uh, the first half, year and a half of my career at Walters Kluwer in the software side of the house and dealing with the more technical aspect of it. And now I'm on the subscription side um, in the text research side. So do that full-time and then part-time, I also have the opportunity to be an instructor at Clemson University in the graduate program where I teach business negotiations. And uh, so that's something I enjoy as well. Oh, no kidding. Oh, that's great. Giving back and keeping your skills sharp in the process, I imagine. Yeah, my passion, Chris, is teaching um, and educating. An educator by trade, I kind of lead from that lens as a sales leader. Um, so not very um, dogmatic and authoritarian in my approach. My approach is more educational and development-based. And I find that I can produce top teams when I'm, I'm in it for others and in their development and not stepping on people to, uh, to get to my, my goals. Yeah, I totally agree with that. How, how big is your team right now? So right now I have, let's see, in the United States, I've got four sales leaders uh, that report to me and, and 46 sales reps under them. And in the U.S., I have a sales leader and 10 sales reps uh, that report to that sales leader. And then I've also got um, another team, a channel team 
that where we sell books type services, uh, more print and books and digital books for accounting to universities and and in specific areas. And I've got five members of that team. Okay. Okay. So pretty diverse uh, kind of product set and sales team. So when when your team's out selling software and subscription services or, or subscription services to the different research that you provide. Yep. You know, it's not, I imagine it's not a one-time sale, right? You sell it, but you need to make sure they're consuming it to come back, you know, a year from now or three years from now, whatever your model is to re-up again. You know, what are some of the kind of this challenges or strategies team members have to use to kind of continue that sales engagement so customers do come back and renew? Yeah, great question. I, I think it's about being transformational, not transactional in your sales approach. Okay, so again, transactional, when people feel like a transaction, um, they're, they're generally not interested, right? And it's kind of a turnoff. And so for us, we're really focused in our, our sales training here. And the type of rep that we bring in is somebody who's very relational, uh, comes across as very authentic and genuine and uh, not salesy. So the, the techniques and things that we teach here, um, even in our sales process, is all around not coming off as a salesperson, but being conversational, being educational and informational, right? That's our goal and to provide value. And we'll walk away from any deal. And I think that translates really well into a relationship-based sale where we're not forcing and pushing. You know, that's what pipeline solves. You know, I said this before, Chris, you know, if you want to solve the, the solution to a desperate sales rep is get them to build pipeline. Because then when something drops out or you have a client that you, you're tempted to really push to the finish line, but you know it's not the right timing for them, you can step away and say, why don't we pull off, pull back a couple of months? You know, would you feel better about that? It sounds like you're concerned about moving forward now. You know, how does July 1 feel like? You know, that feels a lot better. Great. Let's do it then. No problem. So that's the kind of culture that we have here where it's a transformational business. And obviously that business renews with us every year. And our renewal rates are very, very good because the trust that the client has in our, on our team. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I come from the world, uh, you know, initially of selling boxes and equipment and technology and so on. And, uh, you know, as a sales rep, you know, I, I never really wanted to get into that game of, all right, we've got to get it done by the end of the quarter, right? My manager definitely wanted to get it done by the end of the quarter. But inevitably what happens is you start putting the pressure on the customer, you start, you know, dropping your price. and you know, if you have all that pipeline, as you said, you don't really have to sweat it as much. You know, if that one deal moves over, but you have a couple other ones in play, um, you know, everything gets smoothed out. It's when you do get desperate that, you know, you see some of the bad sales behavior that comes out that sometimes sales gets a bad rap for. I agree. And I think that um, it's like in, in life too. I mean, desperate people, whether it's a personal relationship, okay, dating relationship, whatever, or business, I mean, desperate people really kind of send you in the other direction. Um, I've always found that people like to buy when they feel like you don't need them, Chris. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, when you do a takeaway or when you're willing to walk away and you do it authentically, so you don't do a takeaway, you know, where it sounds like a takeaway, right? It's a takeaway where like, you know, it, it feels like this isn't the right time for you. It feels like we need to kind of hold off on this. Okay. Then generally, sometimes when people realize that that's coming from a place of authenticity, they say, well, hold on a second. Let, let, let me look at this again. Okay. Maybe we can do it now. I just need to take... Because they feel you pulling back. Mm -hmm. And when you retreat like that, that endearment that comes from that other side, that, wow, this, this guy's really well, well, walking. He's not pushing me. It brings people back to you. It's kind of magnetic in its approach as long as it's done the right way. And so I think that that's, some, that's a lost art in sales now. We've got too many young guns out there, too many salespeople that are coming in. They're hard charging. 
Okay, they're pushing, like you said, they're very desperate. Um, and it's hard to build pipe nowadays in 2023, right? You got to get on the phones, you got to send emails. So it's a lot of, a lot of challenges there. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm kind of, I'm smiling. The audience can't see this, but I'm smiling because I'm thinking about a conversation that I had, I don't know, maybe over the last three to six months, but I was talking to a rep about slowing down, you know, versus trying to get the deal done for, for a lot of those exact reasons. And if you ever get a chance you know, to the audience uh, to go read a book about sort of Ross Perot and how he sold, right? He, he, uh, he built up the EDS as a company, but you know, he was a very successful salesperson at IBM before he went off and did his own thing. And you know, he would go in with a notepad and, and kind of go through all the customer requirements and constantly checking and rechecking that we're capturing everything. But he would be direct and he would tell them, you know, it looks like you're not ready right now. Right. He would kind of push back on them because there's things that they hadn't clarified or things he hadn't clarified. That's right. And, you know, it actually helped kind of move his business along. And he talks about, you know, kind of taking control of that process and also pushing back as part of a part of that control and really knowing your your account and knowing your client. That's a very, very good point. Um, something you mentioned there about taking control. So it's something I've been teaching recently that I picked up. I actually picked this up from a, a former CIA spy. His name is Andrew Bustamante. There's a lot of great content on YouTube with him. And in some of his interviews, what I picked up as, you know, some of the things that, that CIA does that, you know, you can apply to business. And he runs a company now where he works with business people to do these concepts is how to take control of the relationship. And he said, it's as simple as asking questions, right? So like, you know, for instance, like if I'm in an interview with somebody, Chris, I can control, I can lead somebody down a path and I'm control. I'm in control. But have you ever tried this, Chris? Let me let me give this to the audience. Okay, when you're in an interview, sometimes turn it back around on the interviewer. Okay, so the interviewer is going to ask a question. Hey, why do you think you should be in this role? You know, what do you bring to the table? You can re- you can take control of the interview by turning that around and saying, Hey, I'm just curious. Well, let me I'll answer your question in a second, but let me ask this question back to you. Okay, what specific traits are you looking for, um, or what traits do you think is required in this role? And let me tell you the traits that I have and how they how they fit into that. And then sit back and listen. And then the other side says, okay, well, we're looking for somebody that has this, this, and this. Now they're talking and now you're in control. Okay. So that's important in interviews, right? Because sometimes salespeople just talk, 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 talk. And I often do that when I interview somebody, I, I turn on my iPhone clock. When I ask them the first question, they go 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And I'm like, oh, give me some concise answers and take control. Ask me some questions back. Yeah. Um, so I find that bottom line is of that narrative there is taking control of that relationship is about asking questions to your customers and prospects okay to get to get to know them and really understand the more questions you ask and listen okay you begin to have that control that you need uh, to take that relationship to the next level yeah i'm glad you brought up the topic of of interviewing because there are a lot more people especially in uh in the technology space a lot of layoffs people are out there looking for their next job oh yeah and you know it's not sometimes i can i worry you know there's a lot of people that make a lot of mistakes when they're out there interviewing, but I also recognize that, Hey, you're not a professional interviewer or job hunter. You're a professional salesperson. So it's not something that we do every day. Um, you have a big team. You probably have a lot of interviews that come up your, your direction as you're doing some of the final approvals. What are some of the mistakes or things that people are not doing that they should be doing beyond uh, taking control of the conversation when looking for that next job? Yeah. Number one is they don't have really good questions to ask. You know, so that's the first thing. They're not prepared or have good questions to ask. Uh, the second thing we just talked about it, they talk too much. They oversell. Okay, I give that feedback all the time. Like they just keep going and keep going and keep going. And they don't know when to pull back. Number three, their answers are not concise. 
Okay, so when I ask a question, I'm really looking for some concision in that answer. And instead I get a lot, and I find myself having to cut in and interrupt people. And it's uncomfortable for me because I don't want to do that. But to keep the interview advancing, I have to to chime in. Okay, so there's a time to be narcissistic. There's a time to be proud and and recognize your accomplishments, okay, and get that out. But then there's a time you got to pull back. Um, The the fourth thing is, is just um, being vulnerable in an interview. Okay, so here's how I, I try to extract that as an interviewer. I'll ask somebody, I'll say, what are, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? But, and I, I disclaim and I say, I don't want you to tell me what you're, what, give me like when you say your weaknesses, don't tell me you're too detailed, you know, tell me you're too organized. Like those are passive aggressive. I, I don't want to hear that. Those are interview responses. I want you to open up and tell me what you're weak at. And by the way, I'll open up to you just to kind of make you feel comfortable and tell you what I'm bad at. To give you an example, Mr. And Mrs. Candidate, like I, I generally, what I struggle with is I hold people there, I put them at a standard that they generally can't achieve. Like my expectations for people and the people that work for me, sometimes, Chris, they're so high, they can't reach them. And so I get frustrated or, or controlling. And then I want to do things myself and I don't delegate properly. And so as a leader, I'm learning to grow in that area. Right. Okay. So now I'll turn it back to the candidate and say, so there's an example of where I need to improve. I would like for you to open up and tell us how we can make you better. If you get into this job, where can we coach you? What, what do you need to work on? It's interesting, Chris, when I ask those questions to see, are they guarded? Are they really willing to open up and give me good insight into them and their opportunities for growth, right? Tell me what your strengths are, because I want to hear those too. But that vulnerability, that authenticity, being genuine, um, having a conversation and knowing when to be quiet. I think all those things are very, very important. And they're misses for sales reps nowadays. They're hard charging. They're ambitious. They want the job, okay? But you got to rein that in and you got to have some boardroom presence. I could kind of sum it up. Okay, if you're going to put on that suit and tie or put on that nice dress, you're going to get into that boardroom, boardroom presence. That's what we're looking for. Really interesting, uh, really interesting points for the, uh, the, the salesperson or the person looking for the job. But you also dropped a couple nuggets there as a sales leader, right? Doing that reciprocating back the authentic, uh, you know, being authentic and being vulnerable. Um, what you're doing there is you're really starting to set that foundation if that person is the one that comes on board for that communication between manager and employee, you know, building that open flow of communication, that trust, you know, right in the interviewing process. So really, really excellent tip. Yeah. It's just, it's something nowadays that we struggle with, right? We want people to think the best of us, right? Going back to the spy uh, analogy with Andrew Bustamante, Andrew said something I found was really interesting. People have three lives. They have a, a public life, which is the life that you want people to see. You have a private life, which is your friends and family, okay, that really know certain things about you. And then you have a secret life. Okay, that only maybe one or two people or nobody know. Okay. And so oftentimes what I find, the reason I'm telling this analogy is my goal as a sales leader is to make my private life and my public life match because then I'm authentic. So I only want to have two lives, right? You have a secret life, which your darkest secrets, things you, you're not proud of in the past, all of that. I'm not really talking about that, right? Everybody has that. I'm telling in my private life, who I am as a father, who I am as a, as a husband, okay? who I am as a, as a person of faith, right? All those things, is that coming through? in my job as a sales leader, that I have integrity, I have character, I do what I say I'm going to do, or am I trying to put on a persona that's not real? And so in interviewing or in sales leadership, okay, merging those two, you should be the same. People should look at you and say, wow, I know sales leaders right now that they are, they're hard charging and they're vicious as a sales leader, but then at home, they're just terrific, you know, wives and husbands. And it's like a disconnect. You're like, well, which person is this? Yeah. Like, is the person at work who they really are? And they're just, like putting on a show at home or is it this the right the right life and they're just feel like they have to be hard charging you know to get the job done 
and there's a disconnect there. And I think people see through that. Yeah. it's a skill. And I think, I think somebody that's coming right out of college, jumping into the business world, are probably not going to have that as an individual contributor. It takes some maturity and some time. And, and I think some professional confidence to ultimately get there. Sure. Stan, I understand it's hard to do. Yeah. Right. And we all want people to think the best of us. But anyway, again, the point is, is being vulnerable, being open, being honest. Uh, I would say, let me go back to the interview thing. One more mistake. It just occurred to me is misrepresenting yourself on the resume. Mm. So, you know, I, I interviewed a candidate last week and it was interesting myself and a sales leader that works for me. And, you know, he said I was the number one out of a hundred reps at the company I'm at. I said, okay. Um, I said, can you prove it? And he said, sure. Great. Let's prove it. Right. Because if you can prove it to me, that's that says a lot about you. Number one, that you know you're being accurate and you're you have integrity and character. Number two, if you're number one out of a hundred for the company he works for, I'm hiring you, right? So validating the things that you put on your resume. I have too many resumes where they're inaccurate, they're deceptive. Okay, so I mean, I want to know that. I want to know that that information is for real. I might call a reference. I might want to see a sales report. Um, I've interviewed people before where I've said, "Hey, you were a million dollar producer last year." Uh, in software sales, when I was in payroll sales for this company, I said, can you, can you show that to me? Can you prove that? Because if you are, I'll give you an offer tomorrow. And I never heard from the guy. Why? Because he misrepresented, he lied to me, yeah. knew he couldn't substantiate that in the interview. Everything stopped right there. Okay. So sometimes um, sales reps, we want it so bad. We know how to manipulate, unfortunately, at times in manipulating situations. And we try to manipulate interviewers. We try to kind of slide things in or position things where they're a little quirky, good interviewers, we can see through that. And we're looking for actionable intelligence, stuff that's actually real that you can validate. So that, that's a huge mistake I see a lot of. Yeah. I hope you are enjoying this episode. I wanted to break in with a quick commercial. During the podcast, we sometimes talk about how to invest those hard-earned commission dollars so that you can build that freedom we are all working towards achieving. Now, I built that through 20 years of real estate investing. Now, recently, my team helped me put together a webinar on how top sales pros can create passive income and achieve financial freedom with hands-off real estate investing. Now, I'm still doing this. And as I continue to invest, I'm giving opportunity for others to learn and invest alongside of me. So if you want to learn more, go check out our webinar at hightechfreedom.com forward slash webinar. That is hightechfreedom.com forward slash webinar. We will also put the link in the show notes. Now back to the show. I am so glad you brought that up because I started doing something just not really intentionally, but from the very first time I started working, I saved my offer letter and I had a binder, <laughs> hole punched it, put it in there. Yeah. And then just over time, it, it, it's kind of like a professional journal. I wouldn't quite call it a scrapbook because, you know, I just shove stuff in there, but I shoved because what's going to happen, right? You're going to put the things that you've achieved on your LinkedIn, but you don't have, you're not going to remember something that happened five years ago, six years ago. You're not going to have that comp statement. So every year, I shove my comp statement in there to show where I, I ended up in attainment. If I had something that happened where I was number one or number two, you know, and there was maybe some, I don't know, uh, an award that came with that, you know, I put that in there. 
just as if I ever did need proof. But also sometimes it's pretty darn cool to go back and look because you sometimes forget all the great, you might be like deep in the bowels of a challenge and you sometimes forget all the success you had. And, you know, we don't want to live in the past, but sometimes it's a good reminder that, you know what, I've done this before. I've been there. Look what I've accomplished. Let me just dust this stuff off and go. I agree. That's why I like, I am looking at my trophies over here, right? 25 years of sales trophies. They're all, they're great. Um, on bad days or days where, you know, you miss a month or you, you miss a number and you're like, man, you look at that and you're like, I got this, I can do this. Right. So they're great reminders is what they are. And, um, and so salespeople generally thrive on that. So that's a great call out. I would just say that, you know, yeah, on your LinkedIn, you know, with stuff that you put, and I talked about this on a a previous podcast that I did, we want to see your accomplishments on LinkedIn. I, I like looking at a profile and seeing president's club circle winner. That's great. There's somebody I want to talk to. Right. But when you just put your, your career there, your job, and you don't have those accomplishments, it, it causes me to think, are they a, a good rep? Are they a top rep? Have they, what accomplishments they have? And I have to ask in an interview. So project that um, in your resume or online. I think those are things that are going to attract a lot of attention from good hiring managers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it. Hey, so going back to the sales role. So you've got a good size organization. You, you, you've got a lot of people under you. Uh, some are probably crushing it. Some are probably struggling. You know, what are you seeing that the top performers are doing that's maybe different from the rest of the pack? Uh, maybe a habit, skill, an approach to their business. Yeah. So I would say that um, obviously activity is a big part of that. Um, so, you know, I'm not a big KPI guy. I think KPIs are important. I just liked the post on this the other day. Right, like uh, that Brian Burns put out, which is great. I mean, some sometimes sales leaders are overdone on KPIs. Right, like you know, the sales rep hits his numbers, revenue, but the KPIs aren't there, and the, and the rep gets beat up. I'm not that leader. I'm like, if you hit your pipeline ad KPI and you're adding pipeline every month, okay, the number of appointments and the deals, okay, so what? You didn't get 16 appointments this month, and that was your goal. If you did it in eight, and you blew out your number, and you hit your pipeline ad goal, great job, great job. Now do it again next month. Right. Okay, because you're working smarter, not hard. Like the KPIs, we're so dogmatic on that. So the point is, but you can't discount it and say activity doesn't matter. It it does. So the best reps in the world are this. They generate pipeline, whether it's phone calls, emails, whatever campaign method you want to use, doesn't matter to me half the time. It's, are you generating enough pipeline to be successful? And then are you converting the pipeline into true sales? Like, are you a closer? So that's the second thing. So the first line is pipeline generation or what I see. Okay. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. I mean, this is universally, I would, I would argue, universally non-debatable. Okay, you know, so that pipeline is probably the number one trick of any top sales rep. Okay, um, very few people, Chris, close 80%, 90% of their business. I don't know anybody like that. Okay? I tell people all the time, I lose more than I win. When you're a sales rep, you fail more than you win. You ever think about that? If you close 30% of your deals, you're losing all the time. Yeah. You're only winning 30% of the time. Okay, but because we fail, we succeed, right? We learn from those mistakes, but we're not going to get every deal. Well, if you're a third conversion rates are 30, 40% close rates, you're going to need pipe. Okay, if you're a 60% closer, you still need pipe. So that's number one. Number two, you got to be able, like I said, to close the deal. And, and I, I, I got to tell you, the best reps that I have, they are closers. And it's the types of questions that they do to set up the close. Okay, so one of your questions that you had in your podcast I thought was interesting. Is there a book or is this an author that I follow? Okay. And the answer is yes. Um, in my negotiations class at Clemson University, um, I have a book that I have my students um, do a research project on called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, former FBI hostage negotiator. Chris gives a lot of tactics and tricks in there. 
that'll help close a deal in a negotiation. Oh, yeah. Okay. And some of those tips and tricks are his power of no. And if you haven't seen the power of no, you should look at that up on YouTube and listen to Chris talk about that. Okay. Let me give you something to the audience, Chris, that moves the needle when you talk about power of no. Oftentimes when we're trying to close, close deals, a lot of reps are trying to get people to say yes. Hey, would you like to move forward by Friday? Do you think you'll have a decision by next week, sir? Okay. Those are trying to get them to say yes. Well, when you get try to get people to say yes, they feel the hook being inserted. They know what you're trying to do. What Chris taught that we've been using that works really well for us and improving our close percentages is change the question around, get them to say no. We don't want anybody to say yes. We want them to say no. Okay. So the reason for that is the way the human brain is, human brain is 70% negative. If I ask anybody in my organization right now what they don't like about the company, they're going to give me a long list. If I say, what are the things you love? They're going to give me a short list because everybody likes to call out something negative and then just start complaining. That's the way our brains work. So when you say no, which is assumed as a negative response, you feel safe. You, me, we all do. Like we like saying no, okay? Because we say yes, we're like, what do we get ourselves into? Okay. So the types of questions that we're asking to get our prospects to say no is, would you be against moving forward with this today? No. Okay. Um, would you be opposed if I sent you a DocuSign on what we discussed uh, in uh, today at noon? Would you be opposed to that? Would it be unreasonable, you know, for us to have a decision by Friday at two o'clock? Mm. No, that's not unreasonable, Aaron. That's a no question. They feel safe. They feel in control, Chris. It's the way you're closing the deals by using the sales psychology and neuroscience that's available out there. It's, it's listening to people like Chris Voss and some of these other people that we're following. When you learn that type of material, it's great. It would be, Chris, it would be a crazy idea for us to have a meeting next Tuesday to finalize the agreement that we've been talking through. No, that's not a crazy idea. Is it a ridiculous idea that we do this, right? So all of those types of things, and even in your personal life, I can go to my daughter and I can say, you know, Gabby, would you make your bed this morning? Because I'm trying to get her to say yes, dad. Okay. Or I could say, Gabby, am I a bad parent for asking you to make your bed this morning? Yeah. No. No, dad. Yeah. Thank you. You see how I reframed that question and made it on a personal level? So power of no is used personally and professionally. It's something that we teach here. It's a part of our culture. But I give Chris, it's Chris's material. And, and that's the type of stuff that moves the needle. So you have to, we found that that, that is the type of stuff that we're doing. Pipeline development and closers are the, the, the typical traits yeah. that we're, we're looking for in high-end sales reps. They get the way the mind thinks and they come at it from a place of authenticity. Yeah. Really good stuff. Well, Aaron, I, um, we could do a whole episode on just the kind of that negotiations, the, you know, way to progress that deal. And it sounds like you teach it and you clearly know the content Yeah, to have you come back on and just talk about that. Sure. We'd love to. It's a lot of fun to talk about. Yeah. So as we wrap up, so Aaron, you've been working for a while. And, you know, we're all working hard to achieve something, you know, what is, you know, as you look down the road, what does freedom look like to you? What are you working towards? You know what? Freedom for me is being a teacher full time. Okay. That, you know what that's freedom from the quotas that chase us around at night while you're sleeping, you never escape a quota. Okay. 365 days a year. It's on my right shoulder. Okay. Talking to me. Okay. So, and I've had that for 25 years. I don't, I don't even know that I've ever had a job where I've never known what freedom is like from a quota. Right. So freedom for me is probably, you know, 10 to 12 years, I'd say down the road to be full-time teaching at a university. You know, I teach at Clemson right now. I have a class. I'd like to be teaching four or five classes. And um, so that would be my end game, uh, getting out of corporate America and, um, and getting to that point and then just investing full-time into people, right? But that's what I'm passionate about. I'm not, the re- you don't get into sales leadership half the time for money. You can make good money, right? That, that's not why I'm in it. I don't make as much money as my sales reps do. Okay. I'm in sales leadership for people. I just love seeing people accomplish things. Like I really enjoy that. It's fun. 
Okay. Seeing people make money, you know, buy cars, pay off their houses. I love that. I thrive on that. So teaching for me as an educator, that that's something that I'm passionate about. And that's where I will find my ultimate freedom from a professional standpoint. I imagine teaching then is part of how you give back. It really is. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's a way for me to, you know, you have a lot of, of young individuals nowadays that are getting their MBA. And uh, I even have a cohort in the fall that they're working professionals. These are people in their 30s, 40s, 50s. They come back to get their master's degree. I actually did that several years ago when I got my MBA. And you're able to give back and challenge them. You know, Chris, before I got my MBA, I thought I knew it all. And then I went back to school and I realized I didn't know a whole lot. Okay. Because you're dealing with real life application of the material and you're being challenged by your professors. Like, hmm. And because of that MBA, I actually made a career change. I was a chief revenue officer for eight years and I was just kind of stuck and in a rut professionally. Once I realized that, I was challenged by some of the instructors in that program and I made a career change. And that's why I'm here. I'm actually here at Walters Kluwer because of hmm. the instructors I had at Clemson that challenged me and says, you're better than this. You can, you can go farther. You can do more. You can innovate better. And so that graduating with that MBA, making some career changes is why I'm here today. So I said, I really believe in the educational process. Now, I want to be that instructor that is helping those individuals move the needle, Okay, helping them negotiate a salary and a job offer, right? which we do because I'm teaching negotiations, helping improve lives. So to answer your question in a long way, absolutely. Oh, very cool. I should sign up and take your class. Well, Aaron, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. Really nice to meet you. And I, I look forward to staying in touch. If an audience member would like to get hold of you, what, what is the best way to reach out? Yeah, just on LinkedIn, search Aaron David Cullip, C-U-L-L-I-P, um, DM me there. Best place to go. I don't have a lot of social media intentionally. Uh, LinkedIn is my primary social media account. Um, so you can reach me there and uh, be happy to connect with you. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks very much, Chris. Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating, and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever.